0: Yeah, Rich is not here today, so uh, he asked if I could uh, fill in for him, and that's not an easy task because he's really, really good at teaching the Word, Um, but I'm I'm hopeful that God will help me. Uh, It's always interesting to uh, come up with something to to talk about because when Rich goes through a book, you pretty much follow, you know, verse by verse. You can go as fast, as slow as you want, Uh, but when you have to pick a topic, um, it's just interesting. Um, but I kind of have uh, one-track mind uh, when it comes to things I'm interested in, and generally that's prophecy. Um, If I could remember everything that I've ever studied, I'd be an expert, but I've forgotten most of it, uh, so I'm not an expert. But uh, uh, what I wanted to do is kind of just give kind of an overview of the book of Revelation. Now, the more I get into it, I realize that it's really an impossible task um, but uh, I, I just want to kind of give an overview, like I said. Just, just hit some points. Uh, some things we'll, we'll cover quickly. Uh, you know, a, few, a few areas we'll concentrate a, a little more specifically. <clears throat> but you know, as you know, there are 66 books of the Bible, and they're all equally important. There's no one book. Whichever book's most important is the one that you're reading or studying at the time. Um, you know, 2 it, Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is profitable for doctrines, correction, instruction. Uh, but the uh, book of Revelation uh, clearly, I believe, addresses end times specifically. We know some of the major prophets, Ezekiel and you know, Isaiah and things like that also do. But, but clearly the book of Revelation is, is for the end times, and it's kind of a blueprint for the events that will take place. Uh, shortly, when, when, how soon that is we don't really know. But the other interesting thing is that uh, the book of Revelation uh, is, has a blessing uh, for those that uh, read it or study it. Now, the end of times is, would be the end of the church age, and the church age began... Uh, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead at Pentecost. Pentecost is seven weeks, seven times seven plus one day. That's when the church was born in Acts, when Jesus said, I'll give you power. And that is when the church age began. Now, there will come a time when the church age ends and God's plan for the church will end. And he will continue on with the promise that he had to restore Israel, but unfortunately, it, it will involve judgment, not only for the unsaved world, but, but also, to, it also is to not just restore Israel, but, but to judge uh, the unbelieving uh, Israel. Now, the word revelation means, in Greek, the word is apokalypsis, and I only know that because I looked it up. I don't know what it means, but un- apokalypsis means an uncovering or a revealing. And if you look at the book of Revelation, a lot of people look at it, and there are some confusing things there, but they look at it and they say, well, you can't understand it. And that's not true. It, when you, the more you study prophecy, you realize that God is not hiding anything from the church. We're supposed to be aware and informed of what he's doing. It is not a secret. It's not some hidden, mysterious thing. That we don't understand everything, but he, he clearly wants us to know Uh, What is happening? It is a revealing of God's plan uh, to His church. Now, it was written, as you know, by John the Baptist. Now, all the apostles up to this date had been martyred. Uh, John, mysteriously—I say that uh, facetiously—was not martyred because they exiled him to the island of Patmos. That was he was going to die there. But God had a plan for him, and that plan. involved John revealing God's end times plan for the world and for the church. It was written approximately 80 to 90 A.D. in that area. Um, If you want to just, we're going to look, like I said, we'll look at some verses, uh, more specifically others. We will uh, kind of jump around a little bit. But if you want to turn to the book of Revelation, uh, we'll look at uh, as many verses as we can and when the clock runs out, although I can't see it, well, it's too far away. Yeah. What did I say? Oh, yeah. Sometimes you get up here and you, your mind thinks, uh, your mind says things that you worry, your your mouth doesn't say. So you guys can make all the corrections. Everything I say wrong, you just correct it. Because you get up here, you get slightly just a little nervous. But, um, yeah, it was John... Not not John the Baptist. It's another John, two different Johns. So in in, in Revelation, uh, chapter 1, it says, Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants which must soon take place. And you notice it said he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now God is saying this is something that must soon take place. Now, in God's timetable, soon... Is not our soon, you know. We want Jesus to come soon, like now would be really good. Um, soon in God's timetable, is He's is not willing that any should perish, so He's patient and He's waiting. Um, but these are things He what what must soon take place, and He wants to make it known. So, again, not uh, hiding anything uh, from His people. And, um, Again, so his his promise is that if we read, in verse 3, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So there is a a specific blessing for reading this book, knowing it, reading it, and taking it to heart. And we may not understand every uh, bit that is in there, but there's plenty here to understand. So I would suggest that uh, if you haven't read it or you haven't read it lately, that you read it again. Now, there are also two more blessings that will come later on in the book, um, and we will get to those. But in verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So here's a specific message from Jesus to John to write this message on the scroll and send it to seven churches. And... Um, so here there's a message. Jesus has a message for these. These were seven literal churches, but they also, uh, it's believed that they are uh, symbols of uh, different uh, history, uh, church, uh, his church histories uh, from this time uh, to the present uh, day. Uh, so here John has a vision to reveal these things uh, to the churches. And uh, in verse 19 it says, Right therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later and so what is now john was writing specifically to those seven churches those were churches that uh, were alive and flourishing and they were had inst- their instructions to them but as i said these are also if you look at those read those seven letters you might imagine which one would you your spiritual life associate with But they also uh, appear to apply, as I said, to seven different uh, periods or generations of of churches uh, through the the ages. And it is generally an accepted belief that the last two churches, uh, Philadelphia and Laodicea, um, represent the current uh, church age that we're living in. If you look at the letter to the uh, Church of Philadelphia, you'll find it's, it's... Uh, the Church of uh, Brotherly Love. It's a church that believes in Jesus Christ, that believes in the Word of God, who, uh, except for some minor flaws that we have as human beings, we have kept the faith. We continue to teach uh, the Word of God. Um, So uh, an interesting note is that the first uh, three chapters deal specifically with the church. Now, when it moves on to Chapter 4... Uh, an interesting thing uh, takes place. And chapter 4, it says, After this, well, after what? Well, after the message to the church. So the first three chapters, messages to the church, after this, well, after the message to the church, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So, so God, Jesus is revealing to John that what just happened, the message to the church, after this, there's something else that's going to take place after this. Well, what is after this? Um, well, as you know, uh, there is the, uh, the, the teaching about the rapture of the church and what exactly is the rapture of church and is this uh something that is uh uh, is this something real are we just making this up to make us uh, feel good Uh, now i i have my own personal opinion about what god how god reveals things to the church and i don't as i said i don't believe god is hiding anything from the church i believe that the Holy Spirit is revealing the truth to the church. God's not trying to fool us. He's not trying to deceive us. He's not trying to trick us. Now, there are all sorts of different fellowships, they claim to be churches, that do teach some very strange things. But collectively, as a whole, I believe that the church understands and knows the truth. And so I, don't, I, don't, I believe uh, that uh, you know, the rapture of the church isn't just something that we made up uh, as a matter of fact, in the, in the uh, letter to the church at Philadelphia, God promised uh, to keep us from the wrath and the judgment that is about to come upon this earth. So I believe uh, that that is a promise that has given, God has given to the church. Um, now, Hebrews 9.27 uh, says, Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment... So the first uh, concept... Now, I believe you can, you can use uh, the Bible to study the Bible and, and, and dig and find f- information. We all have our own opinions and ideas, but what does the Bible say about this? So uh, the concept of people leaving this earth and not dying, is that, is that a, a real concept? Is there, is there any precedent in the Bible where that uh, has happened before? Well, in Genesis uh, chapter 5, you have the record of births and deaths, and God is very specific on, you know, such and such was born, and he lived so many years, and he had sons, and he died, et cetera, et cetera. Well, in Genesis 5, uh, 21, we have the record of Enoch. And I know you're all familiar with that, uh, but it says that uh, instead of saying that, God, that Enoch died, uh, it says that Enoch walked with God. Now, the, the, the time where we heard walking with God in another verse was when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they walked with God. So it appears uh, that Enoch did not die, that God uh, escorted him uh, to heaven. Uh, for a reason and a purpose, uh, as, you, as you're in Genesis, you may not understand why, but I believe that uh, we can uh, apply it to the concept that someone actually can leave this earth without dying, in spite of, like I said, what it says in Hebrews 9, it is accounted unto man once to die. So we'll park that and we'll move on. Now, is there anyone else in the Bible that didn't die? Of course, you you all know it was Elijah. Now, Elijah was getting ready to leave this earth, and he was training his replacement, who was Elisha, and in verse 11, it says, As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and, and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. So again, uh, there is a, a precedent for people uh, leaving this earth and not dying. So we have Enoch, far, and Elijah. And those two we will talk about uh, a little bit later. Uh, A few chapters uh, yet to come. Now, uh, turn turn to uh, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. We're just going to talk about the concept of the rapture and see if we can learn a little bit more about it because it is part of end times. It is part a very important part. In First Thessalonians, chapter four, and again, these are verses I'm sure that you're all uh, familiar with. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, we'll start in verse 13. Now let me just explain that um, the church at Thessalonica, uh, the, as people were coming to Christ, uh, there were also those elderly or sick who had died, and the Thessalonians were very concerned. They weren't sure about the kingdom of God, when it was coming and and, and what was happening. And they were very concerned about those that had passed on. And they were fearful that they had missed out on the kingdom of God. And so this letter was written specifically to address their question. And in verse 13, it says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. But according to the Lord's own word, we will tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So, the, for the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And it says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, there are some who may want to place these words at different timetables in the Bible. Uh, I don't think that, fits, that it really fits anywhere except before the judgment is going to begin, it, it can't apply to the second coming. The second company, the second coming uh, is totally explained differently. Uh, so it, it seems that the best place for it to fit is prior to uh, the tribulation beginning, according to the promise that God gave in the letters uh, to, to the church at Philadelphia. And the other thing it says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, there are Christians, and I'm not here to, to take sides or to have you take sides. You can believe what you want. Uh, you know, there are some things that we don't know clearly. We know clearly that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and there's only one way to heaven. That's true him. You can't, you can't argue that. You can't take sides on that. There's only one uh, truth about that. Uh, you can choose not to believe in the rapture. There are Christians who believe that just as Noah and his sons were protected through the tribulation, that God will protect us through the tribulation. But again, personally, I don't believe that fits, because that is how God is going to protect the nation of Israel. So my personal opinion is, how can you be encouraged? If God is going to say, well, there's going to be seven years of horrific Uh, tribulation on this earth and you're going to end up being beheaded or slaughtered so encourage each other with these words it it doesn't make sense god is not trying to trick us or fool us and and we are not destined to wrath it seems to me the best place for that to fit is for the rapture before also in first corinthians 15 we'll just look at a couple verses there first corinthians chapter 15 in verse 51 it says listen i tell you a mystery we will not all sleep now that sleep doesn't mean sleep it means death they they just talked of death as sleeping i tell you a mystery we will not all die but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for well, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised and perishable, and we will be changed. Uh, so again, uh, when would this, where, where would this fit better than pre-trib rapture? For me, it fits best just before chapter 4 of Revelation. Uh, if, if others have a different opinion, again, it's not to argue about or take sides. Uh, it, there is not a verse in the Bible that says, you know, on January 1st, 2013, I'm going to take come to earth, I'm going to re- remove all the Christians, and then the tribulation will start. So we don't have a verse to go on. But we have ev- evidence. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This book is full, filled with information that we can research and study, and we can learn more about not only through our own understanding, but through the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Holy Spirit is revealing the truth to the church that God will keep His promise that we will not uh, have to suffer through the tribulation. Uh, now. Moving on, we're going to, have to, we're going to move pretty quickly because obviously time's an issue. Um, but I just wanted to establish two facts, that it's possible for somebody to leave this earth without dying, Enoch and Elijah. And there are verses that indicate that God has a plan for his church that will not include us in the tribulation. Uh, now, chapter 4, back, back to uh, Revelation... Uh, chapter four begins uh, the journey uh, into the book of Revelation, having uh, God having dealt with the church, and in chapter four, uh, God, uh, John begins to uh, see the things that God is revealing uh, to him. And again, uh, after after John. Uh, uh, hears a trumpet. It says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So God uh, brings John up to heaven and is going to reveal, show, show uh, John things, uh, what is going to happen uh, on the earth. And, Go- and jo- John sees many things. He sees the thrones, the 24 elders, lightning, thunder, and this represents a coming storm upon the earth. He sees the four living, uh, four living creatures. In chapter 5, uh, we start to hear about the scrolls, and there is there is this lament in heaven. Uh, these these scrolls, obviously, to those in heaven, they recognize that these scrolls are very very important. They need to be opened. They're sealed, and they're all wondering who is worthy uh, to open these seals. In verse six, it says, "Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders." He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And so Jesus is the one who has the authority to open these scrolls. And these scrolls are going to reveal the events that God has ordained that would take uh, part in heaven. Chapter 6 uh, shifts from things that John is seeing in heaven to events on the earth. Now, here's, an, here's another interesting fact. Uh, you know there are seven Jewish feasts. Now, the events that Jesus suffered while he was on the earth correlate with the seven feasts. For instance, Jesus was crucified on Passover because Jesus was the Passover lamb. That was the first... Feast day. Jesus was in the grave on unleavened bread. Jesus arose from the dead on first fruits. Now, some speculate if that is true, then it would fall into reason that the church, well, I skipped one. The church was born on Pentecost. Um, The speculation that the next feast trumpets being how we're going to be called up with a trumpet, that the church would be raptured on trumpets. Now that kind of goes against the verse that says we don't know the day or the hour. So honestly, I don't know how to reconcile that, but it would seem to me that something, since Jesus was the Passover lamb in the grave, risen, church born on Pentecost, it would seem something important is going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets. Could it be the rapture? I really don't know we're not supposed to know i understand that but all i know is god will work it out so we don't we don't want to be concerned with with finding a date Um, but the interesting thing the second coming and end of tribulation uh we believe will come on atonement and the millennium will be again on tabernacles so those are interesting things to ponder in our minds and our hearts but an interesting thing Again, this is, these are things we don't know. They're just, I find them interesting. Between trumpets and atonements, the feast is called 10 days of Or or 10 days of repentance. And these are when the Jews have an opportunity to go and ask amends for all their sins to, you know, to make up with family members for arguments and things. But it, 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 here's a, this is a possibility that what happens when the church is raptured? Does the tribulation begin on the next day? Well, we know that the tribulation begins when the Antichrist is revealed, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But here's a possibility, and these are just, these are just food for thought, things to think about. There are, the, between trumpets and atonement, the feast is, is a 10-day feast. It is believed that there's at least a possibility that you have seven years, seven days and three days, or seven years and three years. In other words, it's a possibility that there could be three, a three-year period that would give this man of perdition, the Antichrist. Time to, because we're not supposed. To, we don't know who the Antichrist is now. If we saw somebody rising up in the world who was starting to get, uh, you know, world power and, and you know, we might suspect that it was him. Although we really wouldn't know. But there's this possibility there could be a three-year period where this man, where this Antichrist, actually starts to gain power and starts to gain popularity and starts to gain strength. Because his very first act, which begins a tribulation, is when he makes a peace treaty with Israel. Now, that's not something that's just going to happen overnight. There have been many peace treaties with Israel, with many different uh, organizations, uh, different presidents of the United States and such, and they've all failed. So this this man has to have an incredible amount of strength and power. I'm just putting that out as a possibility. Those are things we don't know. Uh, Now... The actual judgments in uh, the tribulation, and we're not—we don't have time to go through them. I'm just going to—I just want to touch on exactly uh, uh, the uh, formula for what they are. There are going to be three sets of seven judgments in the tribulation. There are seven uh, seal judgments. Uh, there are seven uh, trumpets, and there are seven bowls. Now. How it works is there, there are six seal judgments. Each, each scroll, these scrolls are wrapped and sealed seven times. As each seal is opened, a judgment is revealed and is, is read off by the angels. Uh, but there are actually only six judgments. The seventh seal, when it is broken, actually initiates the coming trumpet judgments. And it's the same with the trumpet judgments. There are six trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet actually reveals the coming bowl judgments. And there are six bowl judgments. The seventh bowl judgment actually reveals the end of the tribulation. Now, each one of these judgments, as they progress, get worse and worse and worse. Now, the tribulation is also divided into two different periods, uh, the first three and a half and the second three and a half years. The second three and a half years is, is, is called the Great Tribulation, because it's believed at that time that all the people that are going to come to know Christ will have been martyred and have, will have left physically left this earth. I don't, mean, I don't mean raptured. I mean died. So that the second three and a half years is purely God's judgment on this world. It's, it's sin and corruption. So you'll hear periods, three and a half years, 42 months. It's also described as 42 months or, or, or 1260 days. Uh, but those are how the seals are... Uh, are open there. Now the first, I'm just going to look at uh, a couple of things here. Uh, in verse, uh, in chapter 6, as the judgments start to fall upon the earth, in verse 16, there are those, now there, there are some that we may witness to and we really can't understand why people don't come to Christ. It seems like such a reasonable thing. But, you know, we're, we're rebellious in our hearts and we, we think that we're smarter than God and better than God. And our pride uh, kind of prevents us from, from humbling ourselves and, and realizing we're sinful. But I would imagine that if people... You would imagine that when people start seeing the judgment that is coming upon the earth, that people would say, that's it, I, I understand, I give up. And many will, many will. But in verse 16 of chapter 6, it talks about these people. It says, they called... To the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? There are going to be people that be so filled with pride when they see the judgments of God, they will still resist, and they will wish that the rocks will fall on them and kill them and bury them. See, they think they're going to escape. Death will help them to escape. Uh, but that just shows you uh, what the heart of man is. Uh, We're going to move ahead to chapter 7, another another thing that we're all familiar with, and that is uh, the 144,000. Now, many have misinterpreted that to believe that there's only 144,000 that will be saved. Well, it doesn't apply to that at all. Uh, As we know, uh, God chose 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and these are going to be witnesses, specifically to Israel, because God's promise to Israel that he, is that he would restore them. That's going to involve judging the unbelieve, unbelievers in Israel and uh, protecting uh, the believing Israel. And so these are going to be 144,000 witnesses who witness, I said, specifically to Israel, but to the world. And these will be people that I believe that you know, sometimes when we talk to people about Christ, they may not believe us. So they may not be sure it's the truth. It's my personal belief that when when a servant of God, ordained by God, tells you that Jesus is Lord and you need to be saved, people will know that it's the truth. And the only thing preventing them from believing is again their pride. Now, many millions will be saved, but still there will be many that will shake their fists at God and reject Him. So these hundred forty-four thousand are not the number of those that get saved. These are witnesses because God's purpose is to... We always you about the great revival. Millions will be saved during the first three and a half years of tribulation. And that is God's true will. We talk about what is God's will. God is not willing that any should perish. God, it's God's will that all should come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So while judgment is going on, God is saving uh, millions. So... Uh, In verse 9, it explains this. It says, in verse 9 of chapter 7, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to a God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So many, a great multitude, uh, a multitude unable to be counted will come to know uh, Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now in chapter 8, there's an inter- interesting verse. Uh, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, now remember the seventh seal will, will, will begin the trumpet uh, uh, judgments. And each one gets progressively worse. In verse Verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Well, why was there silence in heaven? You know, God has to judge sin. He has to judge wickedness. But that isn't God's nature. God, God is not, that is not the desire of his heart. That was not his plan to judge people and destroy wickedness. It was God's plan that people would come to know him. God wants everyone to come to heaven and everyone be saved. But because of his holiness and righteousness, he must judge the wickedness. And this is a very solemn thing. God doesn't take this lightly. So in heaven, there is this silence, there's this awe. Uh, The people in heaven are realizing what is going to come next. This is just a horrific uh, thing that's going to come upon the earth. Uh, Great tribulation. Uh, We're going to jump ahead to uh, chapter 11. Now, here's the story of the two witnesses. Now, it is believed, again... These are two witnesses, and their purpose is again is to point out, uh, just as the prophets did in the Old Testament. They were sent from God. Uh, the one hundred forty-four thousand are, are witnesses. You think these two witnesses? You want to think more like prophets, because they are coming to to judge sin, to point out sin, and to tell people that they must be saved. Um, so uh, the question is. Uh, who are the two witnesses? I will give power, in, in verse uh, 3 it says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Again, that's another way that tribulation is, is broken up. Three and a half years, uh, 42 months, 1,260 days. And it is believed that they will be witnessing during the first half of the tribulation when everyone will be saved. The second three and a half is, is purely uh, judgment. Uh, Now, according to the Mosaic law, two witnesses were required uh, to validate important matters. So that is one purpose. They are prophets of God um, to come and proclaim righteousness and holiness. Now, here again, who are the two witnesses? Does it matter who they are? There are things that don't really matter to us. What, What matters is that we know Jesus is Lord and Savior. But I I like to study. I like to learn things. I want to know as much as I can. I want to know who the two witnesses are. Now, in Malachi 5, 6, it says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So we're pretty sure that Elijah is one of the two witnesses uh, because it says so here in Malachi. But also remember that Elijah never died. Now, the the Bible says that his appointed man once to die. Now, if Elijah had died and God resurrected him, then he's going to die again. It do, it doesn't cooperate with the word of God. So Elijah was taken to heaven. He didn't die. It says in Malachi he is one the one that's going to come. Okay. So who who would the second one be? Well, you know there's some that's going to that believe it's Moses. And again, this isn't an area for for contention or arguing. You can have an opinion. It just makes sense to me that it'll be Enoch because Enoch didn't die. Moses died. He was, he was taken up to, to a mountain, buried, hidden there. So it, to me, it just doesn't make sense. There are some believe strongly that it's Moses. You can choose who you want to believe because it doesn't harm anything. But I believe that the two witnesses will be uh, Elijah and Enoch. And again, their purpose is to witness and to save people and to judge sin. And they will, they will prophesy for 1,260 days, and then they will be killed. Okay, now, uh, they, when, they, uh, when they are killed, another interesting thing, it says every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on them. Well, when the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, how would that even be possible? But now, today, we understand how that's possible. Uh, because when they're killed, there'll be cameras, there'll be cell phones, there'll be all manner of uh, ways of communicating It'll be on TV. People will see uh, after this 1260 days every nation, tribe, and language will gaze on them. Now, another f- uh, fact, we're not going to turn there because we're running out of time. Uh, I talked about Israel. Israel is, is actually divided into two parts. There is, two-thirds of Israel is unbelieving. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't even really worship God. They're just uh, just like regular people. They just they just live their lives. But always, there has always, always, always been a faithful remnant. When you study the Bible through the Babylonian captivity and throughout, there's always been a faithful remnant who always believed in Jesus, believed in his word, and kept his covenants. Now, those are the ones that Jesus is going to protect and save uh, through the tribulation. And he discusses that uh, in Matthew 24. If you remember, he says, when you see such and such, flee. There's going to be a sign a visual sign that these Jews will recognize, but I believe also spiritually God will let them know that it's time to run and hide, and God has prepared a place for them. Now, some say it's Petra. Now, you say, well, if it's going to be Petra, won't everybody know that they're there and go look for them? Well, God does miraculous things, and believe me, if God says he's going to do it, he will do it. And God will protect that remnant because they need to live and be alive at the end of the tribulation, because God still is going to fulfill the promises of Abraham. They need to be alive, and they're going to walk alive into the millennium. And that's where God, uh, when he comes down on the Mount of Olives, he will reestablish uh, Israel as a nation. He will sit on the throne, and he will rule over the nation of Israel. Uh, um, chapter 12, Revelation 12, uh, verse 6 Uh says, again, this just confirms what happens in Matthew 24. It says, the woman, Israel, fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. So here God is specifically saying that he's going to take care of Israel for 1260 days, which is the second half of the tribulation. Nowhere in here does he say he's going to take care of the church. Why? Because that's already been dealt with. We're not in here. We're just, we're just not here. You can look from chapter 4 right to the end. You will not find the church. We're not here. Okay, moving ahead. We're going to move to uh, chapter 13. Uh, just trying to, try to highlight uh, some verses here. Chapter 13 is where we hear about the mark of the beast. And In verse 8 of 13 it says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. So here we know that on earth people have a choice. Choose Christ or choose the mark. The hard thing is choosing Christ because it'll, it'll most likely mean that you'll be killed. You will not be able to buy or sell. You will have no food. You'll have no place to live. It'll be very difficult. But choosing Christ is life. Taking the mark of the beast. Uh, is dead, uh, death. Uh, Chapter 19. I'm hoping we can finish this. There's some good stuff coming. (laughs) Chapter 19, verse 10. Talks about uh, the second coming of Christ, when Jesus will return. Verse 10 says, At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you, and with your brothers, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And in verse 11, it says, I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. So it goes on to to, to describe Jesus' coming after this horrific, violent time of judgment on the earth, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, restore Israel, and rule and reign over the earth for a thousand years until, once again, there's a final uh, battle at the end. Uh, Revelation 19.20 talks about the beast and the false prophet being thrown into the lake of fire. That is before uh, the millennium. Uh, Satan is locked up for a thousand years. Uh, but is, is, and then again is loose at the end. Revelation 20 talks about the great white throne judgment, when those who have rejected Christ will be judged uh, uh, according to those not in the book of life. Um, I just want to jump ahead uh, to, to verse 21 uh, and get to the, uh, to the good part here. So the tribulation is over. In verse, uh, chapter 20, 21 it says, Then I saw himself will be with them and be their God. Now, one thing that happens during the tribulation, where's the church? Well, we're in heaven. Well, what happens? The marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride of Christ, we are presented to Christ as his bride. And when Jesus returns on a white horse, then we come with him to, to rule and reign with him on the earth. Uh, chapter 22. Verse 5 says, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. These are the things that we look forward to in the coming New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is our home. There will be a heaven and there will be an earth. There will be inhabitants of the earth that will not be able to go to the New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is for the bride of Christ. That's it. There's no one else going to be added to that. Not the people that survived and came to Christ during the tribulation, nor those in the millennium. Be a, we, we will have the new Jerusalem, there will be a heaven, there will be an earth. So that is a blessing that God has given to us. We didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it. It's because of God's grace. Uh, chapter 22, verse 12 says, Behold, I am coming soon, my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Okay we will be rewarded for what we've done for Christ. Uh, what's, what we do for Christ will, will last for eternity. Our sin will be judged when we, spe- when we stand before God in the bema seat. Our, our sin and our rebellion will, will be dealt with there. It will be finished. It will be completed. And what we've done for Christ will carry on uh, in our relationship with Christ uh, th- through all eternity. Um, in verse 22 and 12, it says, again, he's coming soon. Uh, and in verse 16, uh, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the brightening morning star. And again, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm sending this information to you as testimony. This is information I want you to know, I want you to understand. It is not a secret. I am not hiding it from you. Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take from him his share in the tree of life in the holy city which are described in this book. Now we know many religions, they write their own books. They, they talk about Jesus, they talk about God, but yet they have their own book. God's saying that that, that is a warning. God does not, will not tolerate anyone adding anything to what he has written here. In verse twenty-two twenty, 20, it says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Now, when I got saved in 1980 and I heard about prophecy, I thought I got saved just in time. I thought the rapture was coming the next day. 30 years later, it hasn't come yet, but it is a hope. We don't know when it's going to come, it, and it doesn't matter. If we get old and die, we'll be, if you know Jesus, then you'll go to be with Jesus. Uh, if we're alive, as it says in Thessalonians, if we're the generation that's alive, when Jesus determines that the time is over, then we'll be called up uh, to meet him in the air. But we will always be with Jesus. But Jesus says he's coming soon, and it could be soon. I don't know what your feeling is about what's going on in the world with Israel and Iran and nuclear weapons. Uh, the th- there's been two world wars. The next one, I think, will be the finish. I don't think this world can, can, will tolerate a nuclear war. Uh, so the time to know Christ is today. It could be tomorrow. We don't know when Jesus is going to come. The, ta- the, the time to trust in Jesus is today. If you haven't considered Jesus, uh, consider Jesus, the author and finisher of life, the Lamb of God who was slain so that we might be saved. I'm sorry for rushing through this book. There's a lot in here. I wanted to get to a lot. I uh, kind of talk kind of fast, but it's a very important book. If you want a blessing, read this book. Now, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that the information that you give uh, to us is for us to know, and it reveals Jesus. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit helps us to understand. The one thing we truly know, Lord, there's no doubt that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that if we believe in our heart and confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we'll be saved, that we'll be saved from the wrath that is about to come come upon this earth, Lord. So, Lord, just thank you, Lord. We just pray that you would bless us as we leave here today, Lord. With thanks and praise to you, in Jesus' name, amen.